How's it going, sports fans? This is Jack from Talking Jack Sports here, and we're back with another episode of the Talking Jack Sports podcast. And I am very excited for this week, as it is playoffs week in the NFL, thus we have a lot to talk about. Uh, I wanted to start this episode by going over the all-pro teams who were just announced um, today, as I am recording this, on Friday the 14th. And I would like to also go over a couple of games from last week that I think were noteworthy, just a recap of them, because they were so crazy. This is the first Week 18 we have seen in quite a while. I think the first since the famed 2 bye week year in the 90s. That was pretty crazy. Um, I also wanted to go over a lot of the coaching firings that just happened since Week 18 is over, and thus many teams have decided to move on from their coaches. Then, <laughs> then I would like to go over my playoff predictions, which are pretty spicy, I think. I think I have a couple of hot takes in here, but I would also like to go over my season award if I were the council that decided the fate of all of these players. Um, I have a couple of, you know, I... I don't really have a ton of hot takes in there. They're they're all pretty pretty standard, but we'll get to them when we get to them. This is going to be a heck of an episode. I'm super excited for it. So let's just get it started with the All-Pro teams, which I think they pretty much nailed this year. I don't really have many amendments that I wanted to make. So Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, yeah, he's clearly been the best quarterback this year. I don't think it's too much of a debate, uh, despite what Bruce Arians might say about Tom Brady. Uh, running back, we have Jonathan Taylor from Indianapolis, and yet again, he has been clearly the most effective running back in the league this year. He's been actually insane for an Indianapolis squad that didn't even make the playoffs. I don't think they would be anywhere close without Jonathan Taylor's magic this year. Mark Andrews in Baltimore getting the tight end spot is actually pretty interesting starting the year because people would have expected guys like Travis Kelsey, obviously, George Kittle, Maybe even uh, a sprinkling of Darren Waller from those who were believers in him at the start of the year. But Mark Andrews is here, and I'm glad that he is. He's clearly had a superior year to that of Kelsey and uh, Kittle. At wide receiver, we have three guys from the NFC. Devontae Adams from Green Bay, Cooper Cup from the Rams, and Debo Samuel from San Francisco. All three of which are very, very nice picks. I think they are actually the correct ones, but I want to go into someone that I think may be swapped out uh, or swapped into one of those spots, rather. Devontae Adams in Green Bay. Yeah, he's always elite. I think he always deserves a spot in here. Cooper Cup has had a historic season for a wide receiver. No one can argue that his lone season this year is undeserving of the spot. Some may argue that he's not as good as the numbers make him appear to be, but of course this year... If you're thinking that Cooper Cup isn't an all-pro, you're actually insane. And Debo Samuel in San Francisco, I am so happy that he has performed the way that he has this year because I've been a Debo Samuel believer for a while now. I think he's had the skills. He just needed some pretty consistent quarterback play to get that and some consistent non-injuries because he's had trouble with those all of his career up to this point. And I think he was actually affected, if I'm not mistaken, uh, down the middle of the season there with a couple of nagging ones, but he managed to put up some pretty nice numbers. But I do want to give a shout-out to Justin Jefferson. I think he had himself a year, but I wouldn't put him over any of the three guys that are here. So I think they got this one right. I do just want to mention Justin Jefferson, because if I don't, I would feel remiss. Next, we have our O-line, and I am pretty happy with this O-line. Well, four out of five at least. Trent Williams at left tackle clearly have been uh, has been the most dominant left tackle this year. Tristan Wirfs at right tackle. Tremendous pickup for Tampa Bay. He's been amazing. Joe Batonio for Cleveland. So happy that he's succeeding. I think he was great last year and even better this year. Zach Martin for Dallas. I mean, when he's on the field, it is just clearly noticeable how much better this team is. So uh, regardless of his injuries and his performance this year, uh, stat-wise, I think I test-wise, he absolutely deserves to be here over any right guard in the league. Now, Jason Kelsey in Philadelphia is the one that I have an issue with. Jason Kelsey has been very, very good, especially considering his age, because he's getting up there. But Creed Humphrey has been better. He has been the best center in the league this year as a rookie, uh, and I think that has to be acknowledged. I think it's a crime for him not to be here. 
I thought that he was it was going to be uh, a situation like we had, I think with Darius Leonard it was a couple of years ago, where he was clearly the best linebacker in the league. He was like defensive rookie of the year, but he didn't make the Pro Bowl. And everyone was outraged about that, including myself, but he ended up making first team all pro. I thought we were going to have another situation like that for Creed Humphrey because he didn't make the Pro Bowl. But we didn't. Jason Kelsey ended up being here. But if I were to guess, Creed Humphrey was was uh, very close in the voting there. But I would personally put him over Jason Kelsey. So moving on to the defense, we have edge rusher TJ Watt from Pittsburgh and Miles Garrett in Cleveland. Two AFC North players who are arguably two of the three best defensive players in the league right now. And Aaron Donald comes right after them in the Rams. I think those three, Watt, Garrett, Donald, the best three defensive players in the league right now. And I don't know how good of an argument you can make for somebody else to slide in there. Cam Hayward in Pittsburgh has also been incredible, a great leader for that defense. Uh, And a lot of these guys, uh, before I move on, I've already talked about in my Pro Bowl section of last episode. So I'm not going to go super in depth on a ton of these. Just wanted to go over them. Darius Leonard in Indianapolis has been great. Micah Parsons in Dallas has been spectacular. And Devondre Campbell for Green Bay, glad he's getting some recognition. He's been consistently elite all year, so I'm happy to see him here. Trayvon Diggs in Dallas is a controversial one because looking looking at his numbers, he's so flashy. He's got the interceptions. He's got the turnovers, the big play potential. He used to be a wide receiver, so he's great at tracking the ball, but he's asphyxiated by those turnovers. He absolutely loves to spot up for the interception, and thus he has given up the most yards in the league at the corner spot. So one of the best comparisons, and I'm so sorry to whoever this was because I, I don't remember who I saw this from, but uh, someone uh, out there on the internet called Trayvon Diggs the Jameis Winston of corners, and I think that is an, a, a very apt comparison uh, given Jameis Winston's high, sky-high highs and his dizzying lows. So... Uh, All in all, Trayvon Diggs is not who I would have picked to make the spot. I actually think A.J. Terrell of Atlanta has been one of, if not the best corners overall this year. Not really given his metrics, but if you watched him play, especially just him locking up every receiver that he covered this year, I think he deserves to be here over Trayvon Diggs, no matter how many big plays Diggs has made. Uh, Moving on, Jalen Ramsey of the Rams deserves to be here for sure. He's great as always. Kevin Byard has a bounce-back season from last year. Made the Pro Bowl, and he makes the All-Pro team here. Glad to see him. And Jordan Poyer in Buffalo getting some recognition. He and Micah Hyde have been a scary duo uh, in the back of the defense in Buffalo, uh, contributing to the number one scoring defense in the league. I believe they still are. It could have changed, but I believe they still are the number one scoring defense in the league. Special teams, don't really have much to comment on. Justin Tucker, elite as usual. AJ Cola has had a great year uh, at punter for uh, Las Vegas. Any Vegas games that I've watched has been... Definitely more than once that I've said, wow, that's that's a nice punt. So that's really all I have to comment on for that. Braxton Berrios, I don't really uh, t- pay super close attention to kick and punt returns. Uh, but he and Devin Duvernay at the punt returner uh, have been what I've heard and what I've seen the best in the league this year. Uh, and I don't really have anything uh, to say about uh, special teamer uh, JT Gray or long snapper Luke Ritz. So, you know, good for them, I guess, for being here. <laughs> so that was my all-pro team reactions. I only really have uh, two amendments that I would have made, and that was uh, AJ Terrell for Trayvon Diggs and Creed Humphrey for Jason Kelsey. So now let's recap uh, four games from last week, those four games being Colts, Jags, Rams, Niners, Steelers, Ravens, and Chargers, Raiders. I watched two of these three games start to finish, and two of them I didn't get to see all of, but I wanted to recap them because they were the four most impactful games in the playoff picture. First, Colts-Jaguars, and now everyone has just been clowning on the Colts because they lost in back-to-back win-and-in scenarios, and yeah, I mean, deservedly so. Carson Wentz played like a bridge guy. His stats don't look terrible. He was 17 for 29 for 185, a touchdown and a pick. That's not super terrible by any means, but the heart of this team 
was Jonathan Taylor, who only had 15 carries for 77 yards and no touchdowns. So clearly just looking at that, it's it's evident why the Colts lost. They gave up 26 points to a Jaguars team with minimal offensive uh, firepower coming into this year. Trevor Lawrence had his coming out game. Finally, 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 18 weeks in the making, 23 for 32 for 223 and two touchdowns, no picks. He played brilliantly against a Colts defense that has multiple pro bowlers. So good for them. Uh, Other than that, I don't have anything specific to say. A loss like this and um, last week as well, definitely uh, warrants looking at the entire coaching staff and evaluating all of that. So Really, it's it's embarrassing for Frank Reich and his coaching staff to not uh, get his team a win in back-to-back scenarios where a sole W pushes them into a playoff spot. So definitely a bozo move by the Colts. And the Jaguars really just dubs on top of dubs because they get to end their season with a very impactful win on a divisional opponent. But they also get to keep the number one pick. So they really get their, their choice at... Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, or Evan Neal, who I've heard has been getting some buzz for a team that is in need of offensive line support. So that was Colts-Jaguars. Now we move on to Steelers-Ravens, which was a scenario where the winner could compete for a playoff spot, and in an overtime 16-13 thriller, the Steelers took this one. Uh, Tyler Huntley played about as well as you would have expected against a very stout Pittsburgh defense that, uh, touted the league's sack leader. Uh, he was 16 for 31 with 141 and two touchdowns. No, uh, I'm, excuse me, two interceptions, no touchdowns. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a pretty decent stat line, uh, if it was two touchdowns, but it was not. He did rush for 72 yards on 12 carries, though, so I guess that's good. Speaking of rushing, Latavius Murray had himself a day, 16 carries for 150 yards and a touchdown, so he was really the only thing keeping the Ravens in it there. Uh, he had himself a pretty nice day, but the Steelers, captained by Ben Roethlisberger, who went 13 for 44 for 244, and a touchdown to go along with an interception. They led the uh, Steelers to a win. So good for the Steelers, who uh, kept themselves alive in the playoff race after that Colts loss because that loss propelled a couple of scenarios in which other teams make the playoffs. So good for them. Uh, Overall, a pretty boring game, but, you know, good for the Steelers. Now we move on to Niners-Rams, and this was a great game. Uh, Lots to talk about here regarding... The quarterbacks, I think Jimmy Garoppolo, who a lot of people were clowning on for this game, I think he played really, really well. He went uh, 23 for 32 for 316 and a touchdown. Two picks, but, I mean, they weren't the worst picks I've ever seen. A couple of them were uh, tipped. Uh, I say a couple, there's only two, but one of them was tipped, I believe. But he, playing on an injured hand, was, I think, pretty brilliant. And, of course, he captained his team to a win. Matthew Stafford went 21 for 32 for 238, three touchdowns, but two interceptions, including the game-sealing pick six in overtime. Well, rather just an interception, not returned for a touchdown, if my memory serves. But the uh, 49ers had everything to play for. If they lost this game, they were out of the playoffs, and the Saints would have taken that spot. So going up against the team who was still in it for playoff seeding, as this game really mattered to them, uh, of course, the Rams played all their starters, so good on the Niners for taking this one, and uh, I'm glad they made it into the playoffs because seeing the Saints get absolutely blown out by whoever they would have ended up playing uh, would not have been a very entertaining game. And the Niners, if Jimmy Garoppolo can stay healthy and that defense can do what it did during their Super Bowl run uh, two years ago, then I think this Niners team could definitely be a tough out come playoffs. Lastly, in a game that will go down as an instant classic, we have the last game of the regular season, Raiders-Chargers, winner-take-all for all the marbles, with one catch, that being if they tied, both teams would make the playoffs, which is all anyone was in uh, talking about this week, including me. Uh, I was just really hoping that they would run out the clock 
and tie 0-0, which would have been absolutely hilarious, and both of them made the playoffs. But of course, in a situation where you can eliminate a division rival from the playoffs, you're always going to play for that. So in the end, the Raiders ended up winning another overtime thriller, 35-32, to with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, and their fans at the edge of their seats the entire time. Because like I mentioned before, a tie sends both of these teams to the playoffs, but it also sends the Steelers packing. So... What a brilliant game, honestly, from both sides. I think the worst aspect of this game, rather the worst performance of this game, was the Chargers' run defense. It was terrible. If Justin Herbert has any semblance of a run defense that isn't just completely top-heavy, that being guys like Joey Bosa and Derwin James, who are really just a couple of the notable big stars on this Chargers defense, if they can get any semblance of depth, this team is going to be legit for years to come because Justin Herbert and this offense come the end of the game was absolutely unstoppable. Justin Herbert threw the ball 64 times and completed 34 of them for 383 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. He was absolutely brilliant. On the final drives of the game, including overtime, he converted on probably four fourth downs. I'm, I'm pretty sure that stat is correct. They might list it as three because I remember one of those was actually uh, they did not convert on fourth down, but they did get a penalty giving them an automatic first. And I don't believe they count that as a fourth down conversion. But nevertheless, uh, there was like a fourth and 20 in there. Justin Herbert's absolutely electric, man. And it it is a shame that he did not make the playoffs. However, the story on the opposite side is the Raiders' constant turmoil throughout all of this season uh, was overcame by these guys in the locker room and head coach, uh, interim head coach, rather, Rich Bisaccia. He did an absolutely spectacular job captaining this team. And Derek Carr uh, went 20 for 36 for 186 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions. A very solid game from him. Josh Jacobs also had quite the game. Uh... 26 for 132 in a timeout but before I wrap up this game I wanted to talk about overtime and the situation that presided there the game was tied at 32 and the Raiders were driving down the field they were about at midfield a little over just out of field goal range and it looked like they were uh winding out the clock and playing for the tie because that sends them into the playoffs and the Chargers as well However, head coach Brandon Staley calls a timeout, and from there, the Raiders say, oh, you want to stop the clock? Okay, we'll run the ball into field goal range and then send you packing, and that is precisely what they did. Now, many people were saying if Brandon Staley didn't call that timeout, uh, then they would have been in the playoffs because it would have ended in a tie. Now, I want to talk about both sides of that. If the Raiders genuinely were playing for the tie, the seeding would have lined up for them to play uh, the Chiefs. And if I'm the Raiders, I'm really trying to avoid the Chiefs. Uh, of course, what ended up happening, them winning, resulted in them getting pitted up against the Bengals. And if I were literally any team in the league, I would rather play the Bengals than the Chiefs. This means that most arguments about this timeout were kind of shut down by a lot of people. Uh, but here's the deal. They were asked, they as in Rich Passaccia and Derek Carr, they were asked about this timeout, and both of them concurred that, yeah, it did change the mindset. Uh, they were content with running out the clock and playing for the tie, but both of them relented that they completely changed uh, that outlook and said, okay, we'll run a play and we will try to uh, knock you out, which is what happened. So... I think Brandon Staley, this type of thing is a fireball offense. Of course, this is his first year, uh, and he looked really good on a lot of occasions. But that, and earlier in the game, which I somehow went this long without mentioning, them going for it on uh, fourth and a very long one from their own 18-yard line with the most uninspired up-the-gut run play I've ever seen uh, with more of a passing back. No offense to Austin Eckler. I think he's brilliant, but he's definitely not a Derrick Henry. Uh... I that kind of stuff is fireable. I I am kind of shocked that he went for that. And really, that gave the Raiders the three points that they needed to have the game tied at the end there. So you could say that that call lost in the game more than that timeout did. So that was the game. Uh, without a couple of those calls, uh, this would be an instant classic with no caveats. But of course, those kind of leave you uh, leave you wondering what could have been. Now, 
now that we are done with the recap there, I want to go over the head coach firings. Of course, there was a couple other things that happened in the general manager department, which I will uh, mention, but I don't really plan on uh, going over that because it's no, it's no fun talking about what kind of general manager team should hire. It's like, oh, they should hire an offensive guy. No, that's not really how it works with general managers. So first we will start uh, in Chicago. Uh, where head coach Matt Nagy was let go after four years along with uh, general manager Ryan Pace. This move everyone saw coming. Uh, Nagy was on his way out, which I actually think is a bit of a shame, and I hope that he gets an opportunity somewhere else because we need to remember, he got Mitch Trubisky to the playoffs twice and won coach of the year, which, like, I mean, that's got to count for something, right? So... You know, Nagy's not a terrible coach. I think he's gotten a lot uh, out of his his players, uh, like that of Mitch Trubisky, who, like I mentioned, he brought to the postseason twice, even it was if it was kind of fluky uh, last year, them knocking out the Cardinals. But nevertheless, uh, Nagy is a terrible play caller. That's his Achilles heel. He is an absolutely awful play caller. And it was evident that... Justin Fields was elevated uh, with um, Bill Lazor calling plays. I believe it was Bill Lazor. So, you know, it's no surprise to see him gone. I think the Bears need to go hire a guy uh, like Kellen Moore. They need to get somebody with uh, an offensive mind because if they go back to what they're historically known for, which is defense, they will fall into a rut and Justin Fields will never develop because if we're being honest with ourselves, Justin Fields had a terrible first year much better uh than other guys that you know i i don't really want to slander but i think he had a better year than trevor lawrence he had a better year than zach wilson but anyway they need an offensive guy and i think kellen moore could be the right call now moving on to denver where vic fangio was fired after i believe three years and i think the writing was on the wall for this one as well you could really tell that the the Broncos, with one of the most talented rosters in the league outside of quarterback, they really didn't they didn't end up going anywhere. And I I don't think this was the right move, actually. I think defensively, you had a really nice core. That, that was the heartbeat of their team this entire year. Fangio is a great defensive coach, and he will 100% get an opportunity here very soon at defensive coordinator. And I'm glad that he will, because he is a heck of a coordinator, and whoever ends up getting him lucked out. But... I really think they should have just fired all of the offensive staff because their offense this year was absolutely atrocious, and that was clearly the issue. So what they should have done is fired everyone offensively and uh, went to search for an actual offensive guy. But now they have to search for not only that, but another head coach. And it will end up being a more offensive guy. My guess is someone like Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs or Brian Dable uh, from the Bills, I would go with Bienemy because he's more of a local guy and it would sting the Chiefs fans to have him leave for a division <laughs> opponent. But, uh, you know, that's my that's my prediction for them. I think they will go with a guy like Eric Bienemy and I'm excited to see it. Uh, and now we move into the Dolphins who fired Brian Flores. And just like everyone else in media, I actually hate this decision. He was 25 and 26 in his three years as Dolphins head coach. He's the best head coach that they've had in, in literally years. He has had two winning seasons in back-to-back years, and it is evident that the Dolphins have had a culture change with him. And honestly, I think one of his best coaching jobs of, this th- of these three years uh, was the back half of his first season as head coach, where he brought arguably the worst l- roster in the league to like five wins in their last uh, like eight or nine games. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe that's what it was. And, I mean, I I think he's a fantastic coach. And he will absolutely get an opportunity at head coach for one of these teams because he's a culture guy. And and it it was really evident that the Dolphins um, really turned a corner, especially this year when they were brought so much adversity, starting one and seven. And having them rattle off eight straight wins, even if it was uh, in the face of, you know, not the greatest competition in the world. Um, I still think it's impressive that you can go from a team uh, that is one and seven to the seventh seed in the AFC for a second there. Um, so I don't really know what the Dolphins are expecting in their head coach, but I don't think they can get very much better than Flores. So it's a shame that they fired him. I don't even want to give a prediction for what their head coach should be. 
But if they want to develop this offense that they've been going into, they need to hire a guy like Brian Dable, which is what I'm going to say that they're going to go try and do. I think they'll go with Brian Dable. And I'm excited to see it because, again, another divisional guy. Uh, It'll be fun for Miami fans to take away uh, a brilliant mind like Brian Dable from Buffalo. But, you know, I I think it's just disgusting how they did Flores dirty like that. So I'm glad if they really thought that about him that they just came out and and got rid of him so he can go succeed with another team because I think that's exactly what he's going to go do. Now moving on to Minnesota where they let go of head coach uh, Mike Zimmer and general manager Rick Spielman. I think this was the right move. I think Mike Zimmer's play calling throughout the entirety of this year was a lot of the time the reason that they lost straight up. I think he's been a terrible coach past his expiration date, so I'm glad he's gone. Rick Spielman hasn't really made the right moves. A lot of Minnesota's draft picks, minus Justin Jefferson, of course, have been bust. Just look at Mike Hughes. Uh, but I I am kind of scared with the route that they'll go here. Again, I think they should go offense on this one. And they should, again, just like these other teams, steal from a division rival and go with uh, Green Bay offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. I think that he has been exceptional this year. It's really shown. And I'm pretty pretty okay uh, with with them doing this. I think that's that'd be a good move for them, especially that they, they want to continue this offense rolling because I don't want them to stifle the talent uh, of guys like Justin Jefferson, uh, Dalvin Cook when he's healthy, Adam Thielen still. He's still got a lot of talent left. And Kirk Cousins, however up and down he may be. So I think Nathaniel Hackett could be the right guy for them going forward. Uh, now we look to Joe Judge of the Giants. And I'm glad that they fired him. This dude's a clown. And I don't really have much more to say about him. Uh, two years ago when he was hired, we all said, huh, who's that? And uh, two years later, uh, yeah, that, there's a reason why we're all saying, huh, who's that? So I think they should go with Brian Flores. I really hope they don't as a Washington fan because Brian Flores is a terrific coach. But even though he's a defensive guy and they really need to, if they plan on bringing back Daniel Jones, which again, as a Washington fan, I really hope that they do. But if they plan on bringing him back, they and they want to unlock whatever potential they believe he has inside of him, I think the guy to do that with uh, would not be Brian Flores because uh, he didn't really uh, elevate Tua a whole much. And if that's what the Dolphins were looking for, going back to them for a second, then I guess, yeah, Flores maybe wasn't the right guy. But uh, anyway, if they're looking for a culture change, which is what they need up there in New York, above all else, Brian Flores should be your guy. So I think they should go with uh, Flores there. And uh, general manager Dave Gettleman also retired. So as they look for a new general manager there, uh, I hope that they choose somebody stupid so they can go draft another terrible quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, with the head coach firings of uh, recency, that would be David Culley of the Texans, who was just let go yesterday. I actually disagree with the move, and here's why. The Texans in my opinion, had the worst roster of any team in the league this year, yet they somehow managed to get four wins. One of those was against the current AFC one-seed Titans, uh, among other impactful ones. That was the most so. So I really don't know why you would fire a guy who was able to rattle off off a couple of impactful wins near the end of the year. Uh, They really set him up to fail in the first place, but they could have... Uh, made up for that by keeping him around for another year amidst all the rumors that he would be let go, yet they just did what was predictable and uh, told him to go uh, go pound sand. So I I really don't agree with this, as I've said, but if I were to hire somebody, I've already mentioned him, but Brian Dable I think would be a tremendous hire. Uh, more so for the Dolphins, I think, because the Dolphins kind of need offense right now. They need offensive firepower, and the guy to unlock that would be Dable. But so do the Texans. The issue for them is that they just need help on both sides of the ball. So if it can't be Dable, I would say uh, the second best guy, which I think is the dude across from him, Leslie Frazier. I think he deserves a chance at head coach. Uh, so I'd be excited for him uh, if he got the nod here in uh, in Houston. But I just, unfortunately, I, I don't think this is his year. I don't think he, uh, he will get this opportunity, even though I think he's very deserving. And uh, now I wanted to move on to Jacksonville, who let go of uh, professional idiot Urban Meyer 
uh, earlier this year after a just disastrous start to the year, uh, which really looked super, super good for owner Shad Khan. But uh, anyway, oh yeah, what else looks uh, good for Shad Khan is that Trent Balky is still there. I don't understand these people. But anyway, if they're going to hire somebody, I think a couple of names that you can throw out there are Jim Harbaugh, even though I don't think he takes the job. I think right now he's probably 50-50 on leaving uh, Michigan and coming to the NFL. But I think uh, at the end of the day, he's going to stay in Ann Arbor. So I'm, I haven't actually put him as any of my here's who I would hires because I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but if I were Jacksonville, I would go to Tampa Bay and grab offensive coordinator Byron Lefwich. Uh, he played in Jacksonville as a quarterback for a couple of years, so it'd be a cool callback pick. But he has helped Tampa Bay's offense reach new heights in these past couple of years, so I think he'd be a tremendous hire for Jacksonville, especially if they're trying to elevate Trevor Lawrence from a pretty disastrous rookie year, which everyone has just given him a pass for based on the situation around him. So that was going over all of the recent head coach firings plus the Jacksonville vacancy. And now I want to move into something a little more relevant. The playoff predictions. Ah, yes, how fun. So I do have a couple of upsets over here. But uh, first, let's start with the AFC, where the four-seeded Bengals take on the five-seeded Raiders. And I think this is going to be one of the better matchups of uh, this weekend. Uh, I do have the Bengals winning, and I have that for a couple of reasons. One, uh, at the end of the day, if they're just completely neck and neck, right? Which I, I don't think that's entirely fair to say about these two squads. But nevertheless, if they were, I always would go with the better quarterback, right? Because the quarterback is going to have the most um, influence on any given game. So I would take right now Joe Burrow over Derek Carr. But that's not the only factor, right? Um, the Raiders have an unequivocally better O-line, even though their their line isn't, like, spectacular or anything. The Bengals, the Bengals are just, like, not good at all. It's, it's pretty terrible still. Like, Burrow's taken the most sacks in the league this year. So it's not good by any stretch of imagination, but it's better than the Bengals. So, you know, looking at that, okay... Uh, better wide receivers. Yeah, Bengals have that. Better running back. That's Joe Mixon of the Bengals, right? So overall, the Bengals' offense is much better. Looking at defense, the Bengals' defense is uh very good, right? They have impact guys up front, uh, like especially uh Trey Hendrickson. But so do the Raiders. The Raiders have uh one Max Crosby, and he's been outstanding, especially having a great game, uh, this past Sunday where he piled up two sacks and a couple of QB hits, so uh, and, and a couple of tackles as well. He had a, himself a heck of a night. But I think overall, looking at the back half of that defense, the Raiders don't necessarily have a ton of talent up there. Uh, and the Bengals, you can say, also don't have like a ton of explicit talent. Uh, they have one of the best safeties in the league, Jesse Bates. But uh, at cornerback, the duo of Eli Apple and Shadobia Woozy has been actually pretty decent. I would say it's a little better than uh, what the Raiders have going on. So if you just look at each of the parts, I think the Bengals outplay uh, the Raiders this weekend and take this one, ending their 30-year drought of playoff sadness. Uh, that being uh, they do not have a, playoff, have a playoff win since. I believe it is 1990. So I'm looking forward to the Bengals being somewhat decent. So, you know, that's fun. Although I wouldn't be surprised if this is somehow a double overtime thriller or something. I don't know. I would love to see that. First double overtime playoff game, I believe that would be. But uh, anyway, we move on to the AFC East showdown with a three-seeded Bills take on the six-seeded Pats. And I have the Bills winning this one. It's going to be close. And a lot of people are saying the Pats are going to upset here. But I do have the Bills, and here's why. Again, going by quarterback, Josh Allen is so much better. Run game. The Pats have that down, right? But as we um, as we know, we're playing in Buffalo. So that gives a bit of an advantage to the Bills, right? But not that much since the Pats are pretty close by. And earlier this year when they played in Buffalo, when it was like too windy or something, uh, Josh Allen 
and the offense played pretty poorly, and Mac Jones threw three passes, yet they somehow still won, right? So, I mean, that doesn't really play too much of a part, but, like, you could say it does. So, yeah, uh, I think the the uh, loss, which happened not recently at all, of corner Tredavious White is going to be felt in this game, uh, even though Mac Jones has a tendency not to throw super deep. I think Tredavious White is one of the elite corners in this league, and him being gone is going to be a huge boon for this uh, uh, this Pats offense. They'll try to take advantage of that. Uh, but pass rush-wise, they're pretty even. I think the Bills uh, have gotten significantly better uh, from last year uh, where they were at this point. I think their defense, their pass rush especially, was their, uh, their big weakness last year, which is why they weren't able to make it to the Super Bowl. But obviously it's been improved. But the Pats' defense every year we know is fantastic. This year the Bills, as I mentioned before uh, earlier, they are the number one scoring defense, I believe. So this is a pretty even match, all things considered. And you could really just base it off of, okay, who's coaching? It's Belichick. I'm not going to uh, go against Belichick. That's a pretty pretty uh, solid argument, honestly. But I'm going to take the better quarterback in Josh Allen, even though uh, he himself is pretty much the uh, extent of his team's run game. Uh, not accounting for um, Devin Singletary having an occasional decent game, but uh, yeah, that's my that's my my take. I think the Bills beat the Pats. Now moving to the uh, two seeded Chiefs against the seven seeded Steelers. This is not going to be close. The Chiefs are going to blow them out of the water. The Steelers don't deserve to be in the playoffs. It's such a shame that the Chargers didn't make it in. A shame that the Colts didn't make it in. And the Steelers have to take the spot. The Steelers are atrocious on offense. Their defense is actually pretty decent with TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, uh, Mika Fitzpatrick, all these uh, top-tier dudes out there. But on offense, their best players, uh, Najee Harris and uh, Deontay Johnson, cannot capitalize because of a terrible quarterback and terrible O-line. It's a shame. So this, the Chiefs are going to absolutely blow them out of the water. It's basically just a glorified bye week for these Chiefs. So it doesn't really matter that they didn't snag the one seed. Uh, now moving over to the NFC, I have a couple of spicy picks here. I'm taking the five-seeded Cardinals to take this one over the four-seeded Rams. And here is why I trust Kyler Murray over Matthew Stafford in these situations. Now, Matthew Stafford has statistically been one of the best fourth-quarter quarterbacks in this league, passer rating-wise. Uh, I believe this may have changed since last week. I don't I don't know for sure. He was the best fourth-quarter quarterback, uh, passer rating-wise. But th- that doesn't really matter to me in this stage because I am strictly going off of what I saw on that Niners game where he threw a pick to end the game and... Overall, all of his turnover struggles throughout this year. Uh, I think that the Cardinals will take advantage of that, even even though uh, people are looking at their offense and saying, okay, they're not the same uh, without DeAndre Hopkins. But I, I, that doesn't really matter to me. I think they're getting healthy at the right time. J.J. Watt, rumor has it, could be coming back, although it's not confirmed as, a, as of uh, me recording this. But if he does, that's going to be huge for them. Everyone should be getting healthy at the uh, at the right time. So I'm excited to see the Cardinals take this one uh, because I believe that they will. Next up, we have the six-seeded 49ers taking on the three-seeded Cowboys. And this is a battle of two teams who are trying to rebound from a couple of slumps in here, whether it's from last year, mostly last year, or about midway through this year, and they started to do that as the uh, as the end game uh, approached. But I have the six seeded Niners taking this one, which is the popular upset pick, as I have uh, I've seen a lot of people uh, when they argue for the Cowboys were, uh, will point to their defense, but uh, I don't think their offense will be enough to carry them. I I think actually, even though it is the uh, top scoring offense in the league, I think that uh, Dakota Prescott will not be. Uh, effective in this game. I think he will be tormented by uh, some great linebacker play. I think their defensive line with guys like Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, I think they will terrorize him all day, even through that Cowboys outstanding off, uh, offensive line. I think the loss of Michael Gallup is going to hurt, even though uh, Cedric Wilson has really stepped up into that role for them. Uh, I just think overall the Niners are getting hot at the right time. Jimmy Garoppolo, he's been here before. He's got this experience. Not that Dak really hasn't. I think he has minimal experience, but Garoppolo's been to a Super Bowl. Let's be real, right? Uh, Garoppolo has that clutch gene, if you will. He's a winner, which, you know, it's kind of a weird thing to say because, like, what does that mean? But uh, I think it's it's definitely uh, observable when you watch these two teams, 
the level of toughness that these Niners show. And I think they'll be able to uh, outlast this Cowboys team. So I have the six-seeded Niners upsetting the three-seeded Cowboys. Uh, and now moving on to the two-seeded Bucks taking on the seven-seeded Eagles. This game is probably going to be a little closer than a lot of people, uh, a lot of people think. But the Bucks are going to take this one. I I really don't think there's any debate on that. What the Eagles do well, which is run the football, the Bucks uh, counter really well, which is uh, their superb run defense, right? So I don't think the Eagles really have a chance. Jalen Hurts really gets his uh, prove it game here. I think uh, if he has a mediocre to bad game, the Eagles could consider moving off of him, which I think would still be incorrect because, of course, this is his first career playoff game with a roster that is uh, pretty terrible. Like, his O-line isn't superb. It's pretty pretty good, probably top half of the league, right? But his wide receiver core is uh, kind of bad. Devontae Smith has had to carry a lot of this. Uh, Dallas Goddard's had to carry a lot of the receiving uh, receiving work. So they've really just been a rushing team, and the Bucks cover that exceptionally well, right? I think um, what could expose the Bucks this year is their lackluster pass defense, which, you know, you can attribute a lot to injuries. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I am taking the Bucks here for sure. Now moving on to round two, uh, via my picks, the one-seeded Titans would end up taking on the four-seeded Bengals. And I have the Titans in this one. Derrick Henry is expected to come back and he is going to bulldoze this Bengals defense, right? When uh, uh, Ryan Tannehill has Derrick Henry to lean on, he is spectacular, especially with uh, their wideouts. Again, getting healthy at the right time. That's big. A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, who can finally find the end zone for the first time as a Titan. Uh, hopefully he can make his impact there. Uh, guys like Westbrook and Kine uh, are making impacts in this wide receiver core. This Titans defense with uh, terrorizers like Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry, guys in the back half like Kevin Byard. Uh, I think that it'll just be too much for these, this Bengals team, uh, which is just inexperienced is what I would say. I think Derrick Henry's been here before. Tannehill, uh, in these past couple of years, he's been here before, right? They know this spot. So I think they'll be able to take out the Bengals, even though I think this will be a game with a lot of firepower uh, going between um, Derrick Henry's return to Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow's spectacularness. But it all comes down to the Bengals' offensive line uh, being too weak to protect consistently against Harold Landry, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, and those guys. So uh, I would say Titans over Bengals there. And now we have the two-seeded Chiefs against the three-seeded Bills, which is a rematch against last year's AFC Championship. Um, I have the two-seeded Chiefs in this matchup. Again, the Bills rely so, so, so much on Josh Allen. When the Chiefs have a couple of pieces to take the pressure off of Mahomes for sure. Like the rushing attack isn't completely incompetent like the Bills. It's nothing special uh, because Clyde Edwards Hilaire hasn't been spectacular. Darrell Williams, he's more of a passing guy, surprisingly. But uh, I just think because of the Bills' dependency on Josh Allen, it's going to wear on him by this game. He won't be able to make it out of here with some battle scars. And I think overall, Mahomes is going to be more comfortable than Josh Allen will be. This Chiefs defense has been pretty dang good to end the season. And I just think, again, it's just not the Bills' year, unfortunately. They need a consistent running back and a more consistent offensive line to take some pressure off of Josh Allen. And that's, I think, really what it comes down to. The Chiefs, with their rebuilt offensive line from last year, have the upper hand here against a Bills pass rush, which is also very improved. But I'm taking the two-seeded Chiefs in this matchup. Now moving to the NFC, where I have the one-seeded Packers over the six-seeded 49ers. It's just a battle of talent. In every spot, the Packers are superior. And the only real issue that I see with the Packers, and I wouldn't even call it an issue, I would just call it a slight concern, is their run defense at times can show some wear. But with them potentially getting a guy like Zadarius Smith back uh, and guys in the back end like Jair Alexander, who haven't played since the uh, start of the year, David Bakhtiari, not even mention it, a team that has shown... Uh, little to no flaws throughout the season is getting even stronger at the best possible time. And not to mention the MVP of the league so far in many people's eyes, Aaron Rodgers, has been playing at less than 100% this year because of his toe injury. So that bye week is going to be absolutely invaluable for him to get to 100%. And he himself said that that's where he expects to be by this game. So I think overall, the Niners are a great team. Uh, they're competitive. I'm so happy to see him uh, in these playoffs. But I, I think they're going to get knocked out in the divisional round. 
against the Packers, and the Packers, this might be their year here. So uh, moving on, I have, again, another upset, the five-seeded Cardinals taking down the two-seeded Bucks. This is a, a matchup of health here. The Cardinals are finally getting healthy at the right time. The Bucks are losing health at the right time. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins by this matchup could potentially be back for the Cardinals, although I, I believe it's uh, somewhat unlikely that he is back before the conference finals if the Cardinals were to make it there, of course. But the two-seeded Bucks, uh, they're down uh, their wide receiver group. Guys like like uh, Chris Godwin, of course, who is out for the rest of the year. Mike Evans has been kind of banged up, but he should be back. Uh, he is back, rather, uh, barring another unfortunately timed injury. Not to jinx him. But, of course, Antonio Brown's absolute meltdown. That was just a, a massive blow to the Bucks' playoff chances because he was going to carry them there if anyone was going to. Uh, Leonard Fournette should be back for this, but he won't be at 100%. So that won't be good for them at all. Their secondary throughout this whole year has been ravaged, and Kyler Murray is absolutely going to take advantage of that. So honestly, I, again, health. I think that's what, what it comes down to. The Bucks' offensive line uh, is going to be what keeps them in this game for Tom Brady because Tom Brady plays his best when he's comfortable, and that's what the Bucks' line gives to him. But I still think the Cardinals take advantage uh, of some mismatches and uh, upset a team that many predict might be going back to the Super Bowl. Now we move into the uh, conference finals where the one-seeded Titans take on the two-seeded Chiefs. And in this matchup, to the surprise of many, I'm going to have the one-seeded Titans in this matchup. Uh, the common theme throughout my, my predictions this year has been health. And Derrick Henry, I think, is going to be too much for this Chiefs defense, who at this point in the year is probably going to be a little bit tired. The Titans, of course, had that bye week for them to rest up so that they're not going to be as exhausted as the, as these Chiefs. Uh, Derrick Henry, of course, assuming that he is back uh, with his health in tow, he is just going to be what carries this team to a Super Bowl. I think his vengeance for uh, getting knocked out in this year is, is going to be a sight to behold. And I think it's going to surprise the Chiefs a little bit because there's still countless people doubting the Titans saying, wow, they're the AFC's one seed. Man, the AFC has got to be really weak this year. No, 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 no. I, at the beginning of the year, was one of these people that said the Titans aren't as good as people are making them out to be. The Titans are not going to be uh, this big threat in the AFC. Yet somehow, with the absence of Derrick Henry for like the half of the year, they have managed to stay together and maintain the AFC's one seed. And I think why, that reason why, is going to rear its head in this game. And I think the Chiefs are going to get sent home packing uh, a game early. And it's going to shock a lot of people. But this game also being uh, in Tennessee is is going to be important, I believe. Because the Tennessee fans are going to show out for this game. It's going to be loud. It's going to be wild. It's going to be wildly entertaining. And I'm excited to see it. I'm going to have the one seed Titans over the two seed Chiefs. Now for the NFC Championship, uh, we have the one-seeded Packers and the five-seeded Cardinals. And now the uh, wild-card Cardinals dream run is going to come to an end here. The Packers beat them in the uh, in the regular season in Arizona, and I believe they're going to beat them again. This time it's just going to be in Lambeau. So the Packers, everyone is saying this is their year, but there are also some people saying now they're just going to lose in the NFC Championship again. And I can't put that into consideration. I can't put this weird, eerie curse uh, that the Packers have been suffering from into account. This is the best that uh, the Packers have looked since the Super Bowl run uh, a couple of years back. Uh, it's been more than a couple of years now, but you uh, you get the idea. But yeah, I'm I'm mostly picking the Packers here just because if this isn't their year, I don't know what is. This is the most complete team that they've had. And like I said before, they have that bye week to rest and relax and rejuvenate and get healthy. All these guys, Bakhtiari, uh, Jair Alexander, uh, Zadarius Smith, everyone on this team, they're all going to be here for this. So I think this is the year the Packers do it, which takes me into my Super Bowl prediction. I have the Packers winning it over the Titans. Again, they're they're just such an elite team at every aspect of it, right? The Titans have holes. I don't know if the Packers have a hole. It's unreal. They're one of the most complete teams that we've seen since that, like last year when the Buccaneers, I remember this, when the Buccaneers were drafting at number 32, I was looking through draft needs. Everything says 
I mean, they kind of need depth at some positions, but they really aren't in need in every of, uh, of anything. And that's what I feel like this Packers team is at right now. They don't really need anything. They're they're great at every every uh, every aspect. I think maybe their weakest position is like secondary receiver. Like maybe if the Titans lock down Devonte uh, Devonte Adams. They don't really have another guy to throw to. But even then, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league this year. He's going to work something out. So I, I have to go with the Packers here. This is their year. I think it really, really is. The Packers are going to win the Super Bowl this year in my eyes. And I and I don't really know if there's another team in the league that can challenge them or put up much of a fight, much to the chagrin of Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. But uh, yeah, those are my playoff predictions this year. And this has been a heck of an episode so far, but I'm not done yet. I have my NFL awards that I want to go over. So let's just jump into it with the uh, offensive player of the year. This has been uh, kind of a two man race for the majority of this year between wide receiver Cooper Cub of the Rams and the running back Jonathan Taylor from the Colts uh, with a, a sneaky third candidate coming in at the end of the year. Debo Samuel has been considered by a lot of people to be an offensive player of the year candidate. But uh, overall, I it's got to be Cooper Cup. He almost set the uh, league record for uh, receiving yards. But what he did do was capture the triple crown for the first time since Steve Smith, uh, leading the re- league in receptions, yards, and receiving touchdowns. He has, has been a statistical monster this year. And uh, even though Debo Samuel has impacted the 49ers offense in so many different ways, uh, being a capable wide receiver, obviously that's what he plays. But not only that, being able to take carries out of the backfield and make an impact there. uh, I mean, it's been spectacular for him, but I uh, would still go with Cooper Cup. Uh, I think the only guy that comes close is Jonathan Taylor. And while he has been very good for the Colts, he's had a great season for them. The Colts didn't even make the playoffs. To no fault of Jonathan Taylor, of course. But I just think with the season that uh, Cup has had, historically, it is one of the best ever. So I have to give it to him here. Now, for Defensive Player of the Year, it is also a race between three guys. Although uh, it's it's become a little bit more lopsided as the... Uh, as the end of the season has approached, but it has been uh, T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett, and the rookie Micah Parsons, who about midway through the year, that's who I was saying was my defensive player of the year, but uh, I can't go with him simply because he doesn't have the metrics of uh, of T.J. Watt, who has tied the record for the most sacks in NFL history with Michael Strahan, 22 and a half. So really good for him. I think he's had a spectacular year, and people might say, well, yeah, of course he tied it. It was bound to happen with guys like him because there's an extra game in the year. Yeah, okay, he missed two games and was knocked out of multiple more before the game was over. So he took actually less games than Strahan to reach this mark, which is unprecedented. It's got to be TJ Watt. There's really no argument for anybody else that is legitimate, right? You can... I mean, appreciate other guys. I mean, even Nick Bosa has made a bit of an argument as the year's gone on. He's been spectacular, and I will mention him a little bit more in my comeback player of the year, but I I have to go with TJ Watt here. I don't think there's any other answer, especially because the Steelers did end up sneaking into the playoffs, which, I mean, I don't know how much of that is on TJ Watt, probably a lot of it, (laughs) but it's going to help him, uh, absolutely help him in this voting. Uh, But now we move into the Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I just, I'm so torn on this one because this one hurts me. I, throughout this entire year, have been a massive supporter of one Creed Humphrey. He's been the best center in the league. As I as I mentioned uh, before, it's not even close. I think what he's done this year as a rookie has been remarkable, unprecedented, incredible, but uh, it's Jamar Chase. <laughs> I think the rookie of the year is Jamar Chase now, and uh, for a while, I was adamant that Creed Humphrey wouldn't get it, but he deserved it. Now, I think Creed Humphrey deserves it, but not as much as Jamar Chase. He's had a spectacular year, broke the record for rookie receiving yards, uh, had about 13 touchdowns, I believe. He has been one of the biggest parts of the Bengals' success this year, so it's got to go to Jamar Chase. Halfway through the year, people were thinking that he played himself out of the race, but then he just shook off all that hate with a like 230-yard, three-touchdown monster of a performance over the Chiefs. So... You know, superb job uh, by Jamar Chase. He's been outstanding. Now for my defensive rookie of the year, it's Micah Parsons. It's not close. I I want to quickly mention Patrick Sertain. 
because he's been really good and a really good immediate pro uh, plug-and-play guy for the Broncos this year. But it's Michael Parsons. He has been absolutely outstanding in every aspect of the of the uh, of the game, and there's a reason why he was in the defensive player of the year conversations, not just uh, rookie of the year. I think he's going to be the next closest thing that we have to Lawrence Taylor in the coming years, and I'm so excited to watch his development. Except, I actually, know that I'm not. Uh, I am a Washington fan, so I am scared out of my mind to play him twice a year uh, for the next two deca- uh, decades. So that's really uh, really fun for uh, a Washington fan, but. You know, it's okay to love a player with all of your heart on a team that you hate with all of your being. So, you know what? Good for Micah Parsons. I'm excited for him. It's not close in this race. He's going to get it by an absolute landslide. It's going to be like a vertical drop from him to the next guy. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's Micah Parsons for Defensive Rookie of the Year. So, now we move to Comeback Player of the Year. And this is an interesting race. It has shifted for me uh, thrice. First of all, uh, start of the year when Dak Prescott was on a tear, it was obviously Dak Prescott comeback player of the year from that gruesome ankle injury. Uh, he was setting his team off uh, fireworks every game. Uh, he was outstanding. Uh, and then he kind of got into a bit of a slump. Um, and at that point, Nick Bosa took over. Uh, he's had monster numbers for a Niners defense that has uh, bounced back tremendously uh, from last year, uh, in large part to uh, Bosa returning. Uh, but Come to the end of the year, uh, one Joe Burrow has put up monster performance after monster performance after insane stat line. Uh, so I really think to close the year out like that and to win a monstrously difficult AFC North, I think that's got to be my comeback player of the year. Joe Burrow has been absolutely outstanding. Joe Shiesty. Uh Now for my second to last award, Coach of the Year has been a pretty tight race the entirety of this year with a couple guys being uh, notable. It's come down to a race between three guys in my eyes. Uh, uh, that's uh, Matt LaFleur, Zach Taylor, and Mike Vrabel. Uh, I'll go by uh, one by one. Uh, Matt LaFleur has the Packers in the one seed. He's been 13-3 and three all three of his years as ke- uh, head coach of the Packers. He has been outstanding consistently, but uh, then again, he has the best roster in the league to work with. Uh, when uh, Well, at the moment, I'd say it's the best roster overall. Uh I mean, especially when uh, Antonio Brown was there, I think Tampa has the most complete roster in the league. But, of course, guys aren't healthy right now. So considering health, currently uh, guys that would go out and play tomorrow if they had to, I think the Packers have the best roster in the league, and it's not super close. Uh, So working with that definitely has its advantages. So I don't think I would give it to Matt LaFleur. So that leaves Zach Taylor and Mike Vrabel. Uh, Zach Taylor was a guy that not a ton of people had uh, trust in at the beginning of the year. Uh, people were saying he's not the guy. This is a proven year for him. If he cannot succeed with the Bengals, he's probably on his way out. And I was of that opinion as well. But he came out and uh, got the Bengals uh, the win for the uh, AFC North. So that was unbelievably impressive for Zach Taylor. And I think in any other year, he would be the coach of the year. But I'm giving it to Mike Vrabel. He has been outstanding this entire year. I think he's a top five coach in the league at this point. Uh, the Titans set the record for most players used ever, ever, like NFL record, most players ever used in a season by any team. It's unbelievable. And this team has the friggin' one seed in the AFC. It blows my mind. Like, how does he do this? It's, it's crazy. This has got to be the best coaching job in the NFL, right? It's, it's, a, it's the difference between taking a roster full of a bunch of talented guys and uh, making sure they play up to the potential they know they had in them and winning a tough division, right? I mean, the AFC South is not even close to the level of toughness that the AFC North is, but I'm still putting the Titans here because they showed a level of toughness and maturity and growth and, like, just overall just great locker room presence from everyone. I'm blown away by the coaching job Mike Vrabel has done. Uh, So I'm giving it to him for sure. And now to keep the MVP conversation short and sweet, it's Aaron Rodgers. There's two guys that kind of make an argument here. And I would say that is Joe Burrow, who I gave my comeback player of the year to, and Tom Brady. Joe Burrow actually has more uh, yards per completion. Um, So good for him. But overall, I mean, Packers have a better record. Uh, you can argue that the Bengals have a better supporting cast, definitely not a better O-line, but that's a conversation for another episode. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people at the end of the year have been saying Joe Burrow is their MVP. I don't agree with that. I think it's Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady has better metrics. He has, uh, 
Um, more passing touchdowns, more passing yards. In fact, both of those metrics are the most in the league by any quarterback. Uh, <laughs> I say by any quarterback. It's not like a running back's going to have more uh, passing yards, but you get it. Uh, but Brady has had the most pass attempts by any quarterback in any uh, in any uh, year ever uh, this year. So it's really no surprise uh, why he's got these numbers. And uh, Aaron has, like, no picks. After his first game of the year, which was like a two or three interception stinker, uh, he had, like, no picks the rest of the year. So I, it's got to be Aaron Rodgers. He's captaining the best team in the league, and he's got overall the best metrics. So it's Aaron Rodgers. That's the MVP. And you are the MVP for clicking in and listening to this episode of Talking Jack Sports. Thank you so, so very much for listening to this absolute beast of an episode. An hour long, my first 60-minute mark. I just had a lot to talk about this week. I wanted to cover everything that I could before the playoffs. I'm glad I got this episode in time. So once again, thank everyone. Thank you, everyone who uh, tuned in to listen. Uh, Make sure to spread the word about this if you enjoyed. Uh, Tell people about it. Share this. uh, Drop a follow on any platform. Uh, That'd be so, so very appreciated. And uh, I'll catch you later. Uh, enjoy the playoffs. I certainly will. And uh, go football team or commanders, right? It's going to be the commanders, I think. Uh, <laughs> it's grown on me a little bit. Go commanders. All right. This has been Jack from Talking Jack Sports. I'll catch you later. <laughs>